This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome back my friend, Jess Vanderweer, to the show. Jess is a registered psychotherapist who helps to support parents through her coaching, free resources, and Instagram community of almost 750,000 parents. I've known Jess for years, and I've had the ability to watch her family grow and see her navigate parenthood and Instagram through a pandemic and do it while supporting hundreds of thousands of parents at the same time. When thinking about who to include in our Back to School series, it just wouldn't feel complete without including Jess. The way that she helps us understand our child's behavior and what's really going on, and then also provides us with practical strategies to know what to do in this situation when we feel so lost and powerless and out of control, is so helpful and in many situations is exactly what I've needed. Today, I've asked Jess to come and help us talk about managing this transition to back to school. Now, the strategies that we talk about in managing the transition back to school can be applied also to daycare or bedtime in many instances, or even going away to sleepover at grandparents' house. Because what we're really talking about is separation and helping our littles to manage being separate from us for things like school and daycare. In this episode, we talk about why these transitions are so hard and some of the behaviors that come up that will help us to know that our child is having a hard time during this transition. But trust me, if your child is struggling, I'm sure that you know that there are things that come to mind for you already, and that's likely why you're here. We help you understand what might be going on during a transition within your child so that you can better know how to support them. And then as always, Jess leaves us with some really practical resources and tools to help bridge this gap of separation during these transition times and these big milestones so that both you and your child can try your best to manage this transition as smoothly or calmly as possible. In our Back to School series, we have covered kindergarten readiness with Susie, a busy toddler. We've talked about managing school anxiety with Dr. Becky Kennedy. And today we are talking about separating and transitions with Jess of Our Mama Village. Let's hear my conversation with Jess. One of the most common questions I get regarding mommy rage is, how do I deal with the post-rage guilt? You love your child more than anything. So when you snap, yell, or scream, you're worried that you've damaged the relationship you cherish so much. The good news is that your human moment when your rage bubbles to the surface won't break the attachment you've worked so hard to build as long as you work to repair. Knowing how to repair with your child is one of the most important tools to have in your parenting tool belt. That's why Dr. Ashari Nareem, Psyched Mummy and I offer a free masterclass to teach you our three-step method for repairing with your child after you lose your cool. This masterclass is packed with valuable information that can help you rebuild and protect the bond you have with your child. We cover how to measure a secure bond with your child, understanding the power of repair, practical ways to repair with your child, and so much more. When you have the right tools and tips, you can break generational cycles and parent the way you envision. Join us for the free masterclass at happyasamother.co slash masterclass. That's happyasamother.co slash masterclass. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. We all had expectations going into motherhood, but reality often has a different plan. Let's work together in shattering unrealistic expectations, letting go of shame and guilt, and accepting where we are on our motherhood journey. We'll pack a toolbox for motherhood with expert advice, practical tips, relatable stories, real moments, and honest conversations. My goal is to give you the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to parent more freely. However, this podcast should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. It's time to do motherhood differently, toss out the idea of perfect, and enjoy the journey. 
Let's dive in. Jess, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us again today. I know we've had you on a couple of episodes in the past, number 77 on consent in parenthood, number 24 on the purpose of discipline and becoming curious about what discipline is really for as we parent. And today we're here to talk about transitions. I can't wait. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Erica. I'm always excited to be on your podcast and I'm really pumped to talk about transitions today. The last time I saw you, I think you were like incubating a little human in your belly. (laughs) And since then, you have had her and you are 11, 12 weeks postpartum. How is life with three littles? Yeah, last time you saw me, yeah, I was newly pregnant. And yeah, she's about 10 or 11 weeks, third baby. So I'm not always remembering exactly the amount of weeks. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm sure you can relate. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it's been good. It's I'm sure you remember it's just a busier transition when you have the three and now you're outnumbered. But she is just such a light and such a sweet addition to our family. And so we've just been really enjoying all the newborn snuggles and the newborn time with her. Yeah, I found it interesting. It's like it wasn't the baby that was like hard to manage. I found with the third, it was like the other kids and mm-hmm. how busy they were or like their life and activities that needed to continue on while being postpartum. I always found totally, yeah, like a little overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. I found I found I was prepared for the baby, but the busyness of school, which we're talking about today, and childcare and baby and all the things trying to navigate it all. That is the part that's been the most challenging. Yeah. And running a business and being a freaking badass bitch at the same time <laughs> is probably difficult. But like props to you. I'm so, you know, look up to you in so many ways for doing that. So and like playing into transitions. I mean, you've lived it. I've lived it. I feel like there's different pieces of transitions. We've got like the micro day-to-day transitions, I feel like, which can be hard. Mm-hmm. And then we've got the broader, bigger transitions like going back to school or adding a new child to the family or maybe moving or starting a new job, these like bigger life events. And then also day to day, our parenting life is full of little micro transitions as well, all of which can be challenging for families, can't they? Yeah. Transitions as a psychotherapist, working with kids and working with families, like this is a topic that comes up all the time because a transition is anything from it's time for bed and I have to separate from you to you're starting a new school, which I know a lot of kids are starting school soon or a new childcare. And so transitions are everything and they're everywhere in parenting for sure. Mm -hmm. What do you think it is about transitions? And maybe we can break out the micro versus the big milestone ones if the causes of why they're difficult is different. But what do you think makes them so hard for families? Yeah, I actually think that they all come down to the same reason why it's hard. And it's because Hmm. attachment is a big need. It's the biggest need for children. And separation, Hmm. which often happens during a big transition, is often seen as a threat to the child's attachment. And so because separation and transitions are so closely aligned together, it can make it really difficult for children because they're trying to minimize this distance that they have from their parents. And so we see that in those little transitions like bedtime, when we need to transition from daytime and the child's with their parent or a trusted caregiver all day long, and now we're transitioning to, we want you to sleep alone for 10 to 12 hours at night. I think that's a big transition. It's a big separation. So you often see the clinging, restless, procrastination. And similarly, when a child goes to school for the first time, and that again is, it can be perceived to the child's mind as this threat to attachment. Now I'm no longer with my parent all day. So we're going to see a similar behavior to a bigger transition like school where you have clinging, the child's crying or frantic, doesn't want you to leave, they're clinging to your leg. And so separation really is at the root, not all, because there's other reasons why transition can be really tricky, but it's at the root of a lot of the transition struggles that we may see. Mm -hmm. And then I think about the context in which we've been parenting for the last two years in COVID and in the pandemic, where we've had less separation and less time to practice this. There's Mm -hmm. less activities. We've been home together. And so I've heard like from pediatrician friends and others in the field that attachment anxiety or separation anxiety has been on the rise and really difficult to navigate because of the waters in which we're parenting. 100%. We see this in our practice all the time, parents saying this, because 
even myself and yourself as a parent during COVID, I know that you and I stayed closely connected and we both had our kids home a lot, if not all the time for close to two years. And so to then transition from you're with your trusted attached caregiver all the time to I'm going to transition you to school or to childcare. It's big, not only on the child, but it's really huge on the parent as well. And we see a lot of these anxieties rise up in parents to be nervous or feel guilty for leaving their children for the first time in several years, or even if it's a year or you're coming back from mat leave. And so those feelings, when we have them as parents, can also really impact the child's ability to feel confident separating as well. Hmm. I'm reflecting on the children and family work I used to do and some of the separation anxiety, you know, clients and cases that I've worked with. And I feel like there are two pieces to this puzzle, you know, there is the parents' anxiety potentially around separating and then the child's anxiety. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's accurate? Yes, I definitely think there are the two pieces. Yeah, the parents feeling the concerns and then the child. And often as the parent, we're, we're seeing them all interconnected as one, but I think it can be really helpful to kind of piece them apart and, and take note of both of the feelings that are coming into the transition or the separation. Mm-hmm. What does separation anxiety look like? Like if I'm wondering whether my child navigates these and rolls with these separations versus maybe struggles with them, what may be some of the things that stand out? For sure. I think first we want to just normalize that separation is really hard for kids. And so I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of the parents that come to our practice and say, oh, my child really struggles with separation. Do they have separation anxiety? And having some anxiety, some worries, and some fears around separating is very different than having an anxiety disorder Hmm. in a child. But I think in our mind as parents, sometimes they can kind of get intermingled. So I do want to normalize that. It makes sense. It's hard for kids to transition. So some of the really common things that a parent might see is the child being clingy, is the child feeling a little bit restless, especially with a brand new transition, a child wanting to stay with you or crying about you leaving them. Those type of things make sense, especially with a brand new transition. When I would maybe start to get a little bit more concerned is if you are building that relationship with the caregiver that the child has when you're not there. The child now has been exposed to this new environment quite a few times and you're, let's say, a month or two in and this is still the case every single time you drop them off. Mm. Then we might be looking at, okay, so let's get curious about why is this still so hard and what is going on for the child that makes the separation continue to be so hard even after they're developing a relationship with the other caregiver. Mm-hmm. It brings up two examples in my mind. My first son going to school and me needing to put him on the bus. Mm-hmm. And like this kid was excited to ride the bus. <laughs> and I was like, I'm putting my four-year-old on a bus <laughs> with a stranger. We were totally the parents who like, drove behind the school bus to school, got out, like waved him into like his door, you know, (laughs) I was like, okay, this was clearly my separation anxiety, not his. Like he was ready to take on that bus. Right. And then I've got my really close friend's son and she put him on the bus kicking and screaming and crying for probably the first four weeks of school. And like he was just having such a hard time with this transition and change. And so I feel like those are really kind of like maybe not opposite ends of the spectrum, but definitely far apart where my son, my oldest, really rolled with it. And each of my kids have had different personalities, but he kind of rolled with it. And it was actually more my anxiety in those moments. And then for my friend, it's like her son's temperament. And he just really struggled to navigate that change. And he has adjusted and it, it took some time and he loves school and he's made great friends. But like to put a crying child on the school bus each morning was so difficult for her to just like, you know, Mm -hmm. keep that together and manage that adjustment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and temperament is a really important piece to bring into this conversation. I think I see it between my two daughters even. So I have two older kids and they both right now for the summer are in different childcare settings. 
my oldest is much like your oldest. Like her first day of school, I was a mess, you know, trying to keep it together behind the scenes. Mm. And she just confidently walks onto that bus that she's been looking forward to go onto for months and kind of waves, okay, bye, and off she goes. Right. Whereas my second is a lot more highly sensitive. I would say she has that highly sensitive personality trait and she needs a lot more practice, conversation around it. And transitions for her, separating for her is a lot more difficult. And that doesn't mean that either way is a right or wrong way, but it is important to kind of keep in mind that how this looks for every kid is going to be a little different. And the way that we support them might be a little different depending on their temperament as well. Hmm. I think that I got a a good gauge of this with each of my children's temperaments with how they separate around bedtime. You brought Mm -hmm. up bedtime, right? And so like my oldest, I can like read his story, tuck him in. It's like this very like logical interaction of sorts and he stays in his room and whatever. And then my middle one who is neurodivergent and who, you know, we've had some just different parenting skills we've had to bulk up to navigate Mm -hmm. that. It is a coming out of the room. Uh, everything is a problem and if we're not comfortable enough and there's not enough water. There's not enough yeah. all the things where those transitions are never as smooth as maybe some of the others. And so that to me was not a red flag, but a bit of an indicator that, hmm, I need to think about how he's going to transition to school differently than my first because this seems to be like these transitions away from us or especially like new things seem to be a little bit harder for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds very similar to my oldest and my middle as well. Oldest is very confident and able to kind of hop on the school bus and wave bye and there off she goes. And of course she has some hesitations, but she is great with separation or transitions. And my second as well takes a lot more of that time, that energy to put in kind of before the transition ever happens. And I think that that's important as we were talking about this too, is to talk about the work that we can do proactively to support, especially our sensitive or neurodivergent or just children who do struggle more with the separations, because we can do things outside of that moment that can help support them. Yeah. And I'm curious what those would be, because I feel like as we model things, even day to day, like at bedtime with my middle one, and I model like, you know, that he's safe and that I'm within an earshot and I can leave his door open and we have these conversations about safety and I'm right here and these types of things that it kind of models some of those. So yeah, I'm curious how we can start to prepare for these big transitions ahead of time. For sure. So I kind of want to go back a little bit and just say we've been talking a lot about separation being one of the main reasons why transitions are so tough. But I also want to add in, especially when we're talking about school or camp or wherever it is that your child's going, I think about my daughter, who I said is typically quite confident in a transition. But this summer, she was going to a new camp, and she didn't know Mm. anybody there. And she didn't have her pals from school, who now she's built the relationship with, so it's brand new. And she, the night before couldn't sleep. She was very restless. And so I got curious, what, what's the struggle? And she was nervous about how do I make a friend? She didn't know. Mm -hmm. And it was really important to me to see that yes, separation is a big part of it, but there's also these other concerns that especially our school age children have, like, how do I make a friend? (laughs) She didn't know, like, how do, how do I start talking to a kid that I don't know? Or is this separation tricky because school is hard? We see that in a lot of our kids and in our practice. The school is hard or they don't enjoy the work or they struggle with the work or they struggle with friends. So I do want to just kind of add that into that. We want to be curious before the transition about what is it that's making it so hard for our child? Is it separation or is it one of those other things that could come up? I just had a conversation where putting my son in a new camp even before school starts. It's like one that he's not been to. It's a Muay Thai camp, so it's like a new activity that he's never done. Mm -hmm. And he had a similar conversation with me where he was like, but I won't know anyone. Mm -hmm. How am I going to like make new friends? What if people don't want to talk to me? Or like some of those worries, right, about fitting in and belonging. And that was something like, as you said, kind of uncharacteristic for him, but it was such a new experience that it just makes so much sense for the situation. And I think that it really plays into the fact that like transitions and how we navigate transitions are not linear. Mm -hmm. Like I feel that 
let's say we have a good routine for school or we have a good routine for bedtime, but then something changes in our life or in our dynamic, those transitions are how we cope with them, can ebb and flow depending on other factors in our life, I would say. For sure. Another example is my youngest or my middle now. Oh my word. I still always call her my youngest. (laughs) (laughs) So my middle child was doing great. She was doing amazing going to childcare. We had done a lot of support for her proactively. And then we had our baby Mm. and all of a sudden she doesn't want to go to childcare and she's crying every time we drop her off again. So yeah, it is important to know that, okay, so let's go back and let's get curious. Why is this so hard all of a sudden? Well, it makes Mm -hmm. sense. She just had a huge change in her life and she's not spending as much time with me anymore. And so we had to build back in connection and work on bridging the separation, which we can get into in a minute to help her transition back into going to childcare again. Mm -hmm. I think about these situations as a mom, as a person who works with moms, and I think about how completely dysregulating they can be for us, Mm -hmm. right? Like I've had moms like at the former camp and group practice that I used to work in, you know, bring kids in crying and kicking and screaming or refusing to get out of the car and like how dysregulating that is for us. So I'm also thinking in the back of my mind that we'll get to some like maybe tips and and ways for us to bridge this separation as well, because it is really difficult to see your child struggle and to navigate what feels like an appropriate, you know, way to do things. Like I find that's really hard when we get hijacked and we're so full of like our own fear and worry. For sure. And how often is it for us as parents and for the moms that we work with at my practice too, the guilt that comes up, right? When you're dropping Mm. your child kicking and screaming off at childcare because you just had a new baby and you need that time to spend with the baby and heal yourself, Mm. the guilt that that can bring up and how that can impact the dysregulation that we feel too. And then we often see parents and it makes so much sense, go above and beyond to make sure that their child is okay with the separation. So staying longer, deciding to just keep them home or not really Mm. trusting your own boundary because of the guilt or the worry that we feel. And then the cycle can kind of continue on. Then the child doesn't trust our boundary either because now we've gone back on it and they know that we're not feeling 100% about sending them, which makes it harder for them, which makes it harder for us. And it can really spiral that way. And I don't know if you saw that as well in your practice, but I do see that in a lot of the moms that we work with. It's a really important thing because I'm like, okay, I drop them off and all of a sudden I'm dysregulated or I'm like at drop off and they're like crying and having such a hard time. And like, really, you know, I'm thinking about my friend putting her like crying child on the school bus for like four weeks straight at the beginning of school. Mm -hmm. And you're like, Ooh, am I making the right choice? Like, should I be doing something different? Should I be doing more? And then you put it so perfectly, like then our boundary that we're trying to hold, we start to like maybe second guess or negotiate with or Mm -hmm. like backpedal on. And while I think that we should be flexible in our boundaries and have the ability to reevaluate them and discuss them with our partner and they're not hard, fast, rigid rules, I do think that we need to learn to hold even in the face of a child who is anxious. Yes. Does that make sense? Exactly. I think that brings me to a really important point I want to talk about today is that when it comes to transitions or separations, children really need an in-charge parent. So they need a parent who Mm. can take the lead on that because often I think we rely on our child's emotional state to kind of take the lead. Mm. But when our child is expected to be in the lead, it's, it's too much responsibility for them. And so they need to know that we trust that they're going to be okay where we send them. And of course, like we want to do our due diligence and make sure that it is a trustworthy space and we know where we're sending them and we do trust it. But when our child can learn to rely on that boundary from us, again, with some flexibility and know that we trust it and we trust that they're going to be okay, even with their tears and with their hesitation, and we're going to work with them to bridge that separation between us and them our children can much more confidently do things like go on the bus or walk into school or even have bedtime. Even at bedtime, I see this when a parent will say, okay, we're going to read two books tonight and then it's time for bed. 
but then two books are over and the child's like, but one more, but one more. And they start crying. Like they're going to be really sad if they don't have more books. And then the parent says, okay, okay. And then we read them three, four, five more books. And now the child is even more overtired and dysregulated. Now they want more songs rather than holding space for our plan was two books and then time for bed. And I get that that's really hard and taking charge of that situation, even though your child's going to have some feelings about it and allowing them to experience those feelings. Mm -hmm. Not being scared or like shutting down or trying to even shut down the child's experience, right? But being able to provide the skills to navigate the feelings they're experiencing rather than just like the absence of the feelings. Like, mm-hmm. And I think that this comes back to how we measure a successful transition into school where is it like the absence of a meltdown that is successful? Is that, does that, is that our like marker mm-hmm. for success? Cause we might fail, especially the first couple totally. of days. Or is it that they, you know, in their emotions were able to like breathe and navigate. And we said, you know what? I'm going to be back at this time and I can't wait to hear about your day and gave them the skills to still face the difficult situation, even though it was scary and dysregulating. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think part of that too is knowing for your child, who is that person that's in charge when I'm not there? And that's something that I discuss with my children or the clients that I talk to too, because they need to know that now that they're separated from mom or from dad or whoever the caregiver is, there's still someone else that I can go to and rely on and lean on in their absence. And this is, I know, not always possible, especially schools are like, there's just, they can be really overloaded. It can be hard to get to know the teacher ahead of time. But when possible, if we can help our child even know who that person is ahead of time and develop even a sense of who they are, whether it's like showing them pictures of the teacher or the caregiver telling them a little bit about their life and who they are so that when you're confidently leaving them and saying, I know that you're going to be okay. This is the person who's in charge when I'm not here. If you are struggling, you can talk to this person. They know where they can go to. So they are never have to feel like, Oh, now I'm alone for eight hours without a support person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about other ways that you help to bridge that gap of separation from the parent. I've seen, I don't know, kind of like tokens or special bracelets or like some physical representations. Like what are your thoughts on some of those things? I love it. I love all of it. Yeah. I love to imagine, yeah, there's this bridge between you and your child. So you are leaving your child, whether it's at bedtime, whether it's childcare, whether it's a church nursery, whatever it is. And they know that there's this bridge between the two of you. So a few ideas that I like to come up with with the parents that we support, you could do a matching bracelet. You can make it yourself at home as you're talking about the transition that's upcoming and get your child to make your bracelet and you make your child's bracelet. And now they get to wear that all day and and know that whenever they look at it, you're thinking of them and you guys are connected. Mm -hmm. You could draw even just a small heart on your child's hand, something that they can look at just to know, hey, every time you look at this, I want you to think that, hey, mom loves me and she's thinking about me and she will be back to pick me up. And things that can help them remember that you're thinking of them even when you're not there Mm -hmm. and you're still taking care of them even when you're not there. Some other things that I like, there's a book by Patricia Karst. It's called The Invisible String. And it talks about how even when you're apart, you're still connected with this invisible string. So you and your parent are still connected via this invisible string. And whenever you miss your parent, you can pull on the invisible string and imagine that they're pulling back. Mm. And children that I have supported have loved this idea and this picture, and they can really cling on to that. And I have seen kids even in my practice when I was working with kids, just even like pull the string themselves, like kind of secretly in the session Mm. thinking about their parent. And I think it can just be a really beautiful way to connect. So that's a great book if your child struggles as well. I feel like I want to get that for the kids just to have it, like in anything that they navigate in life. Like we had a little bit of a situation at daycare and there was some, you know, um, mean words exchanged in an older kid and stuff. And so this idea of safety at daycare came up, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm just like, 
it's mommy's job to keep you safe wherever you are. And I'm always thinking about you. I'm always having conversations with the adults that are in charge. And because mm-hmm. the fear was I'm away from you. And so you don't know if it's safe or unsafe mm-hmm. was sort of the fear that had come up from one of my kids. And it's like, no, it's my responsibility to keep you safe. But when you're away from me and you're all like, I'm always thinking about you and having these conversations. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's such an interesting concept just for a variety of different mm-hmm. things that our kids face. It reminds me of, I swear this was you, for bedtime transitions, like hearts for check-ins. Yeah, that, is, yeah. was that a thing? Was that you? <laughs> That's yeah, a thing, tell yeah. me about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the idea is very similar. I've kind of just taken this approach from a bunch of different approaches and brought it all together. So the idea is you either have stuffed animals, so you make a pile of stuffed animals with your child uh, before they go up to bed, or you cut out hearts or stars or whatever you want to do. That's up to you. And you say to your child, I'm going to be back when you leave them in bed and I will bring you another stuffed animal or another heart so that you know I was there. Hmm. And the whole point of this exercise is you're talking about it before. So I'm going to leave after we do our routine and then you're sticking to your routine. So if they want more books or more songs, you know, our routine was two books, two songs, and then it's time for bed. You can allow all the feelings that they have about that. And then when it's time to leave, you leave, but you let them know you'll be back and they will know you're back because you're bringing them something. And so I found a lot of our bedtime coaching students really liked doing a stuffed animal. So they'd bring their child a stuffed animal every, depending on how long the child can handle separation, but you are coming to them before your child comes out to you. Hmm. And again, it's showing I'm in charge. I've got this. I will be back and you'll know because I'm bringing you this. And so the child can fall asleep knowing, well, if I wake up, I'll know if they came or not because it will be proof. <laughs> and you're not, they're not just like, you know, wondering if what you said was actually true. Mm-hmm. When you go to bed, this is my favorite part, is then you bring all the stuffed animals that you decided on or a huge pile. So when they wake up in the morning, there's a huge pile of hearts or a huge pile of stuffed animals and they can sleep knowing, wow, they really checked on me and they're really here for me even when I didn't see them. And it can help build your child's trust up and help them confidently sleep in their own bed. As busy moms, the last thing we need is more on our to-do list. It's hard enough to remember who needs what packed for school, when the next doctor's appointment is, and when to register for events, let alone remembering to call and cancel subscriptions that drain your finances every month. That's why Rocket Money is so great. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you notice something that you don't want, Rocket Money can help you cancel it with a few taps. They even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash momwell. That's rocketmoney.com slash momwell. Feeding the family is one of the most all-consuming parts of the invisible load. Meal planning, shopping, trying to balance nutrition, finding the time to actually cook with little ones needing your focus and attention can be so stressful. But Factor makes it easy. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals take the mental load off your plate, providing pre-prepared, chef-crafted meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to select from, including keto, calorie-smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. You can even choose from over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, including snacks and smoothies. With Factor, there's no prep and no mess. The meals are 100% ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. That means no cooking and no cleanup, which is great for busy moms. You can choose the schedule that works for you and your family choosing six to 18 meals per week and pausing or rescheduling your deliveries is quick and easy. Reclaim some time and reduce your mental load with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 
and use the code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off. That's code MOMWELL50 at factormeals.com slash MOMWELL50 to get 50% off. If your house is anything like mine, breakfast is the most frantic meal of the day. We all want to start the day off with a wholesome meal for our kids, but the time crunch makes it difficult. Magic Spoon helps relieve the morning rush with tasty cereals, high in protein for a great start to the day. Magic Spoon offers a variety pack with four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And it has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. Each Magic Spoon cereal is made with wholesome ingredients and no artificial flavors or dyes. And since it's gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free, it's great for a variety of dietary needs. Go to magicspoon.com slash momwell to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momwell at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. Try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momwell and use the code momwell to save $5. I had these conversations. I go in every night and like check on the kids before Mm -hmm. bed and put their blankets on and whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And they love to hear like, if they woke up or if they rolled over, yes. like it's almost like they want to know that the exchange yeah. really happened, you know? Yeah. And sometimes more than others, like when we went through like a thing with daycare or when maybe they see something scary that worries them or their imagination gets the best of them. I feel like sometimes these needs ramp up more than others where mm-hmm. they want to be checked on more. And I know that can be frustrating for parents because it's like, why is this a problem? Like, you've been sleeping so well. Like, it can be, if you don't understand the context, it can be frustrating, right? Mm-hmm. But having a system to go to mm-hmm. sounds like a really great idea. Yeah. Yeah, we'll pull that back out. Like, when my oldest sleeps great, usually through the night, but when we had the baby, of course, like, now she's waking up a little bit more. So we pull that idea back out just for a time, just so she knows that we're checking on her and it builds in that connection and I always say, you know, if separation is the issue, more attachment or more connection is the solution. And that doesn't mean you have to be with them 24-7. It just means we have to find ways to build in some connection even when we're not there. Hmm. I think that's the part we get confused about as parents is it doesn't mean we have to be present because that's when we prolong the drop-offs. Or that's when we now are not going to take the bus and we're going to take you into school. And then it's going to be a whole song and dance for 15 minutes because – you know, like my attachment and love and devotion to you and all these things is proofed by our physical proximity Mm -hmm. and being actually present. But I love what you're talking about is like having our children understand that attachment and our bond with them is not just about our physical presence, right? It's really so much more than that. And for kids to understand that, maybe they like Maybe the bracelet or like a physical representation is something that they need to kind of like wrap their brains around that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important to not get the two confused. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is where we do see the biggest issue of, okay, well, if separation's an issue, attachment's a solution, then I have to be attached to them at all times. Yeah. Physically attached and present. Right. Right. And I think that's a whole other podcast for another day, the attachment parenting and kind of you know, going down to what is actually the root of the attachment, which isn't having my child on me 24 seven, it's having them know that they are in relationship with me and they can be safe and they can trust me and know what I say is true. And so then when we say things like to our child, I trust that you can go to school today and I'm still caring for you, even if I'm not at school with you and you have this bracelet and when you miss me or when you're worried, I want you to hold it. And know that tonight when you get back, we can talk about it and I'll care for you even when I'm not there with you. And then when you pick them up, making that reunion something special. Like Hmm. I always try when I pick my child up to leave my phone in the car and just like make that eye contact and let them know, oh, I'm so happy to see you again. And I'm back and I'm here for you. I've been thinking about you today and making the reunion something that's joyful and something that's like, your child can look forward to that and know that 
they're going to have their parent who's delighted to see them at the end of the day. Hmm. It can be really helpful as well to make those transitions positive. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because the reunions with my second, so he just started JK, he's going into SK, so he's going into like kindergarten as it would be in the States because mm-hmm. he was in junior kindergarten or preschool. And I would pick him up. He would transition okay, but I would pick him up and all the big emotions would come out. Yeah. So it was almost flipped. Like he would he would go off on his way okay. He would have a good day. The teachers would send pictures. The reports would be great. Like everything was great. But he would see me and he would throw his backpack on the ground and have a whole you know, big meltdown and experience. I did an episode on this called After School Restraint Collapse, which gives some insight into why this can happen, especially with neurodivergent children. Yeah. So I found that the reunion was actually tricky. And it's just like Mm -hmm. his little body for regulating himself all day long and having all these big feelings and being away from me just like when he saw me, like it just all came out. And Mm -hmm. we went through that for quite some time. And I think being able to understand it and see it for what it was like, I would make and plan ahead of time to whether meet him at the door if I wasn't the one picking him up or try to be the one to pick him up and try to do these special things so that he really felt like, like you said, like that reunion was special or received in a way that it was like just very intentional because he had big needs during that time. Yeah. And it's curbed a bit and he's also matured and gotten older, but it was the reverse for us. It was on the tail end of the day. That was hard. Yeah. I'm sure your episode on that like covers all that. So I won't get into it too much more, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And that's really common to see it at the end of the day and to still hold space for that reunion. Like you said, finding ways to make that still special for him or for him to at least know, oh, she's showing up for me in this way by picking me up at the door and not making me walk to the van or or however it is that works for your child. I know my daughter as well struggles with that. And it's often a cry all the way home. Mm. And sometimes you know all the tools, but you still do things different. Mm -hmm. She told me the one day, mom, I just need to cry it out. (laughs) Just like basically be quiet, mom, and just let me cry it out. So I think that was so wise the way she said it. And it's true. Sometimes we do need to allow space for those big feelings because it makes sense that they're waiting to kind of hold them in all day until their trusted person is there and then they can release them. Yeah, I think it's a really important point for us to highlight for families. This can happen at the beginning of a transition. This can happen coming back home at the end of the transition, coming back into their safe space and environment. And we've talked about a few different strategies and ways to bridge this separation and help support our children. But why don't we parse those out a little bit more in a summary and intentionally here so that parents can really take some notes and understand. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking separation anxiety, like let's say the preparation phase, what are some of the things that we might do in the conversation for up to school or daycare? Perfect. Yeah, I think this is great. Let's kind of summarize these tips. So in the preparation phase, this is before your child is actually doing the separation or the transition. A few things I would think about role play. And I know this one can feel really funny to parents, but we need to remember children learn best through play. And that's often the way that they learn and the way that they grow. So if we can role play out what it is that they're worried about. For example, I talked about my daughter being worried about making friends. And so this is something that we were able to role play out together, me pretending to be a new friend and her coming up to me and thinking about what questions she might ask. If it's going on the school bus, you can role play out doing the school bus. You can role play out whatever it is that your child is nervous about. So role play is really good for separation, but also for just any big change or transition. Storytelling is something else that I think is really important for kids. They can Mm. learn through storytelling. So I talk about three different types of stories that parents can tell their kids. They can tell them a story of sameness. And this is actually a way to build attachment with your child because they learn to see themselves in you. So you can tell them a story of sameness, which is when I was a child, I remember feeling nervous to be on a school bus. And I remember feeling worried about what it might be like to go on a school bus. And then you explaining your journey to feeling nervous, to feeling confident going on a school bus to your child. 
So Mm. that's one story that you can tell your child. Another story that you can tell your child is the story of what is going to happen. And you can do this through writing it out and making it fun for your child, or you can just tell them. But this is the story of how it's going to go. And you, or you can make up a fictional character to describe your child, will go on the bus and there'll be a lot of new people on the bus. And I wonder what their faces might look like and kind of guide your child through this journey of what they can expect is going to happen and allow them to be a part of the story. And the third story, and this was a really important story, is the story of success. And this is the story after your child gets home from childcare or they go to bed by themselves for the first night. We do want to pick up on those little pieces where they were successful. And Hmm. it's the story of, wow, you were so nervous this morning. You were really hesitant to get on the bus. And I saw you just take some really deep breaths and walk up those stairs and get on the bus and confidently sit down in your seat and like just telling them the story so that they can start to make a connection between, whoa, I was nervous and I did it Mm -hmm. can be really empowering for kids. Mm -hmm. So I also have my youngest going into this transition this fall as well. So I had my middle one just went to JK. He's in SK now. And I now my last my last oh, little Erica. is going into JK. <laughs> I know. Oh, oh my, my gosh. Word. It's a whole other, you know, conversation for another day. And his thing is like, he's going to be nervous and there's going to be all these new faces and there's going to be these new kids and kind of the assumption that the other kids might know each other came out of a conversation we were having. So I think that like, I always do the, you know, it makes sense. Like mommy was scared to go to school for the first time too. And that story of sameness, but then also with him, he's wanted to kind of know about the other kids' stories as well. I love that. And so we've been talking about, you know, actually the other little kids are going to, you know, or big kids, however your child wants to Mm -hmm. frame themselves, you know, are going to come to school and they're going to feel nervous just like you because it's their first big day and they're going to want to make new friends just as much as you are because they've never been to school before either. And he's like, really? Because I think he sees his big brothers go to school and he kind of assumes everyone's going to know everyone. And so... The fact that he's on equal playing ground with everybody helped him to kind of ease a little bit and say, okay, this is new for everyone. It's not just new for me. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Yeah, the story can come out in so many ways. And I think that it is one of the most powerful things that we can do with our kids for anything new. Yeah. And I also like to ask, I wonder questions. So if they're like, oh, you know, all the other kids are going to know each other. It's like, oh, I, I wonder why you think that way. Or I wonder what that might be like for the other kids to show up to school on the first day and Mm, just allowing mm. them to kind of wonder because kids can be quite, you know, sticky in their mind and think it has to be a certain way or black and white in their thinking. So it's like up to us to allow them to develop that curiosity brain and and the wondering for, well, maybe other people might feel this way too, or I'm not the only one to feel nervous. Mm Mm-hmm. And so these conversations and these stories we're having leading up to mm-hmm. and modeling this transition, as we talked about, at bedtime in other ways and letting them know that we think about them. I really like this Invisible String book. I'm for sure going to order it yeah. for the kids just to give context of what it is we're trying to explain to them, right, and help them understand. Mm-hmm. And then it comes to the actual morning drop-off. We're either putting them on the bus or we're dropping them off at school or daycare And what are some things to be mindful of then? Mm -hmm. So one last thing before we get to that point, you do want to get curious with your child and think about how can we bridge the separation? So I think you do want to have those conversations ahead of time. Like, like I'm not going to be with you while you're at school, but I'm still going to be caring for you. And and how are you going to remember that? Like, how are you going to know that I'm still there? I'm still thinking about you caring for you. And that's when you might pull in the invisible string book. Another really good book is called The Kissing Hand. It talks about kind of a similar framework where you kiss the palm of their hand and then you close their hand before they go to school. And if they miss you, they can put their hand on their cheek during Mm. the day and imagine that you're giving them a kiss. It's very sweet. And that one is specifically about school. I have a bookstore link in my bio if, if you're interested. I have a few different separation books in there. But yeah, so you want to have those conversations about how are we going to bridge separation. And then morning of, okay, now we're doing it. We've planned, we know what's going to happen. And as a parent, we're expecting some big feelings to come up. Mm -hmm. And 
our job is to be the in-charge leader, like I was talking about, allow those feelings and still equip our child to know that we trust that they can do this thing that's hard and that's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's always flexibility and every parent knows their child best if something's totally off character. But we do want to try to stick with the plan and to stick with the boundary that we set so our child knows that we are confident in it so that they can feel confident in it. Ideally, you would do some matchmaking ahead of time as well so they know who that trusted figure is that they can go to when they are at school or childcare, wherever, camp, so they know who that person is. If you can do some matchmaking, might not be the best (laughs) descriptor, but you can do some, you know, letting your child know who that is, having them get to know them ahead of time would be good too. Mm -hmm. You're directing them, okay, so-and-so is your teacher, that's who you're going to go to, and I'm always here, I'm always thinking about you, this is how we're going to feel connected, I trust that you can do this, allowing the big feelings, and then helping them through the process of doing the hard thing. And knowing that there might be some tears and we can welcome that feeling, we can allow that feeling to happen and still moving through the plan. Mm -hmm. It makes me remember my second son. So Mm -hmm. each of my kids took to a stuffy or like a lovey at some point, probably in like our sleep transitions and bedtime routines and things. They didn't as babies, but they did as they got older. Mm -hmm. And I remember we talked about my middle son taking his like a lovey with him. And he could either, he could take it in his hands, he could just keep it in his backpack. Like, of course, take your lovey if that's going to help you feel comfortable and safe. And the first day we got to the kindergarten door, he had it in his hand and he looked at me. He's like, I'm okay, mom. And he gave me the lovey. (laughs) Oh, stop. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And went off into school. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like he can do it, you know? Yeah. And he handed me the lovey and went off into school. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, I think that if my anxiety took over in that moment, Mm -hmm. he may not have trusted in himself to bridge that transition, right? Like to give the lovey over and say, mom, I'm good. Like, I got it. And it was just a like full, not a full circle moment, but a moment for me of like, man, they're like really capable. And like, we prepped for this moment and he was nervous and nervousness makes sense. And I'm nervous and whatever. And he just like turned around. Like, he's just like, I'm brave, mom. Like, just like kind of like perked himself up and off he went. And I was just like, so taken back. I think that sometimes we like underestimate our children's ability to navigate these changes, Mm -hmm. especially when we've equipped them with the things that you're saying, right? Like we've prepared them. And sometimes, you know, not all transitions are going to go like that. And sometimes you know, we might struggle to find our brave and struggle to make that transition. And and that is okay too. But yeah, just being able to have the trust that he could do it and help equip him to do it. And he just took that and ran with it. It was just like, man. Yeah. Wow. That is so powerful. And such a testament to of all that work that you did to prep him for it, that he felt so ready to pass you that animal. And I can feel like that would be such a powerful moment too, as a parent, because you're like, wow. Like my child is, they're not this little toddler anymore. They're stepping out into the world and uh, kind of goes back to what we were talking about before of how hard this is for parents. And I think especially that first transition, so used to being with them all the time, that it is so challenging and we can feel so much guilt and worry for them that we forget how capable they are and how strong they are. Yeah. And I think about the moms who have been home, like he he had been in daycare. I think about the moms who have been home with their kids day in and day out in the pandemic, how hard it is also for us to let them go and do these things, right? For sure. And this like lovey that he had carried around and slept with and has been like traveled to Africa and back and it's like the filthiest lovey you've ever seen yeah. in life, you oh. know, been everywhere. Yeah. And he's just like, no, I can, like, I can do it. It's beautiful. I was one of those moms because I had my daughter, my second daughter in 2020. Mm. And so she went to daycare for the first time this last year and I was a mess. Like she was my baby, you know, she was attached to me every moment for the first almost two years of her life. So when I had to send her to childcare for the first time, it was very hard on me, actually maybe even more so than on her because I was used to being with her all the time. Yeah. I remember that actually. I remember because you and I have known each other for quite some time and she was born like right in COVID and you had this photo that went viral, mm-hmm. right? Of like your parents meeting her through your like patio door or yeah. something. So you guys were like so in isolation and just you guys as a family. So I can imagine how 
you know, pandemic moms would feel that much more. And especially like we've got COVID, we've got different germs. There's all these other factors. I feel like that also come into play here that make this difficult, but believing in our own ability to cope and lead our children and believing in our children's ability to navigate hard Mm. situations, I think is a beautiful gift to both of us to be able to navigate these changes. Mm -hmm. And remembering that it's okay. I think especially with daycare transitions, I felt like school was okay. Well, they have to go to school, you know, every child goes to school around this age, but childcare or leaving them with a babysitter or something like that, we can really second guess ourselves and feel guilty for needing that time or going back to work or needing a, a break. And so remembering too, that that's okay. And we don't need to feel guilty for leaving our children and back to the attachment discussion you can have a solid attachment and not be with them 24 mm-hmm. seven. And even though I knew that I still needed to remind myself of that when I started to leave my pandemic baby for the first time in two years yeah. with somebody else and remember that she was going to be okay and actually develop another attachment figure and attached relationship with her daycare provider as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's like a beautiful and healthy thing for her to have, mm-hmm. right? I know that these are topics that you speak on frequently, and I know you've got your bedtime guide and things. Where can people learn more from you on topics like these? For sure. So I do have my bedtime course, which is for children ages two and up who struggle with that transition to bedtime. And it really does take that attachment lens while allowing your child to learn how to separate from you and feel comfortable sleeping in their own bed at night. And so that is one area that I discuss all these topics much, much more. And I also have a brand new separation anxiety workshop. And at the Mm -hmm. time when this podcast launches, it should, I'm not exactly sure when we're launching, but it should be live. And this workshop will cover every single topic that we talked about, including transitioning to school, transitioning at bedtime and all the different things, babysitters, where we have to separate from our kids. And I give some really practical tools above and beyond what we talked about here to help parents who struggle with separation and kids who struggle with separation. Mm -hmm. And I really love your approach because like you help parents conceptually understand what's going on, but then you also have these like practical takeaways. So I feel like there's something that I can also do in the moment. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there's a really great balance of both of those things. So I walk away like, oh, I'm going to get this book or I'm going to try this, you know, leaving the hearts or the little things. So Mm. I really value that and appreciate your approach. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I know as a mom to now three, you need those practical tools, but you also, we have to understand the theory behind it too. So I do try and incorporate both of those things in my workshops and my courses. And where can people find you? Where are you hanging out online? I'm always on Instagram, Our Mama Village. And that is the place you'll see me in the stories every single day. Or you can find me on my website, which is just OurMamaVillage.com. We'll make sure to link all of these things in the show notes that also will be a blog post so that people can easily click through and find you. And thank you in the midst of your postpartum and raising three children. Thank you so much for being here to have this conversation today. Thanks for inviting me, Erica. Of course, for you, I will come and do a podcast anytime. I'm happy to be here for the third time. And this was always a joy. So thanks for having me. Would it really be a conversation about separating from our children if there weren't a few tears at the end? Oh my goodness, I've worked with so many mamas who've had hard daycare drop-offs and school drop-offs and the reality is that this is as much of a challenge for us as it is for our littles. If you enjoyed this conversation with Jess and want to learn more from her, she was on episode 24 of the podcast talking about the purpose of discipline and also on episode 77 talking about consent and how to model consent in parenthood. I encourage you to check out those episodes and also to go back into our back to school series if you missed the first two episodes where I chat with Susie of Busy Toddler and Dr. Becky Kennedy. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week where we are being joined by Casey Davis, the person behind the platform Struggle Care, or as you may know her, Domestic Blisters on TikTok. She is here to discuss her new book, How to Keep House While Drowning, and to teach us all the practical tips and tools to make our house more functional when we're caring for littles. You do not want to miss this episode. I'll see you right back here next week. 
I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast. To join the Happy as a Mother VIP list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to happyasamother.co slash newsletter. Until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing an amazing job. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com